Welcome back to the Dirt Show. Um, half a century ago, half a century ago, I was one of the lawyers in the Pentagon Papers case. You may remember that Senator Mike Gravel from Alaska um, actually went on the floor of the Senate and read the Pentagon Papers into the congressional record because he knew under the Constitution he could not be held accountable for anything he did on the floor of the Senate. Um, his version, the Mike Gravel version, was then published by uh, a press in Boston. I represented them. I represented him. Uh, I wrote the brief in the United States Supreme Court and uh, litigated the case. Um, I'll never forget what happened in the Supreme Court. The former dean of the Harvard Law School, Erwin uh, Griswold, who was a very honorable man and somebody I like very much. He's the guy who brought me to Harvard and, you know, advocated my, my tenure. He was then the Solicitor General of the United States, and he represented to the justices that if the Pentagon Papers were unsealed and allowed to be disclosed, it would have tremendous negative effects on our national security. And he documented all of the effects it would have on national security. I didn't believe it. Uh, a lot of other people didn't believe it. Erwin um, Griswold may have believed it. Uh, he may have been briefed on it. Eventually, I read the Pentagon Papers, and there was just nothing in it, particularly that endangered the security of the United States when it was published. Obviously, names and sources were redacted, but the Pentagon Papers were an important document that helped bring about an end to the Vietnam War. So since that time, I've been very, very suspicious of government claims of the need for secrecy. And I am very, very suspicious of the current claim that the Justice Department is making about the affidavit that was used to get the search warrant that uh, justified the search of, of Mar-a-Lago, including a locked safe and a closet, uh, reportedly, where Mrs. Uh, Trump's clothing were, were kept. And, and, and tomorrow, um, Judge Bruce Reinhardt has to make a decision. He has to decide whether or not to unseal the affidavit. I don't know what he's going to do. I can tell him what he should do. Uh, here's what he should do. He should call the government in and he should say, look, there is a strong presumption in favor of unsealing any important documents about which there is public interest. And there's great public interest, legitimate public interest about the search. Half the country doesn't think it was justified. And maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. The affidavit will give us a lot of answers. And so the judge should say, my presumption under the First Amendment, under transparency, under freedom of information, my presumption is to release and unseal and make public the affidavit. But I'm going to give you, the government, a chance to convince me that there are parts of the affidavit that should be kept under seal the names of confidential informants, possibly the names of witnesses, possibly sources and codes and other kinds of information that it's important to keep secret. But I have to tell you, if I were Judge Reinhardt, I would say to the government, you have the burden of proving this to me. Uh, my inclination is to make as much public as I possibly can without endangering your investigation. And then the government would without publicity, 
go into the judges' chambers. Maybe the defense would be there. They would be sworn to secrecy as well. And the government would say, this name has to be redacted. We're investigating this name. It's a uh, confidential informant. Probably the defense couldn't be there at that point. Uh, President Trump's lawyers couldn't be there. For other things, maybe they could be. But the important point is the judge um, pressing very hard and saying to the government, no, 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 that, that, that doesn't suffice. You've got to tell me a little bit more. I'll give you an example. So reportedly, and everything is reportedly, I'm not going to repeat that word, but you know, we don't know what really happened. It's been reported. Maggie Haberman of the New York Times is probably going to win a Pulitzer Prize because she has these amazing sources. Uh, I lunch with her, um, I don't know, about a year ago. She's a terrific reporter. Um, uh, and she seems to have an enormous number of uh, real good confidential sources. But she has reported, and others have reported, that the search was conducted of the Trump safe, the safe. Uh, the safe was locked. They had to bring in a locksmith, reportedly, to break open the safe. And of course, there was this Geraldo Rivera moment. You'll all remember when Geraldo Rivera had us all sitting at the edge of our seats because he promised us that he would be opening Al Capone's safe. And who knows not only what's in there, who's in there, whose heads, whose skeletons might be in there, of course, with a great deal of, uh, of uh, brouhaha, uh, the safe was open and nothing was in there. The same thing happened reportedly in Mar-a-Lago. Uh, they broke open the safe and there was nothing in there. So I want to see the affidavit. I want to know how Judge Reinhardt justified allowing the breaking in of the safe. Remember, to get into a safe, you have to have a special warrant. You can't just say uh, in a search warrant, we want to look at this, we want to look at that. If you want to go inside a safe, um, you really have to justify that. I want to see what the justification was. I don't care about the names of the people or the the cooperating witnesses, but what did they say was in there and why did they turn out to be wrong? Uh, was something moved? Uh, how long has it been since the safe was open? And all of these issues are things that uh, we should have a right to know. What was the basis for the search of Mrs. Trump's closet and her clothing? Was there a confidential informant? We don't need his name. Was there a confidential informant who told the government that uh, Donald Trump had hid nuclear secrets in his wife's brassiere. Ah, no, I, I doubt that that happened, but we're entitled to know what did happen. What was the basis for allowing a search to extend beyond the office into the personal closet? I won a case some, some years ago, um, in case you heard about the Klaus von Bülow case. I won it in part because there was a search of a medicine cabinet. And uh, to search a medicine cabinet, again, you need special information. A medicine cabinet is like a diary. It tells you what illnesses you have. It tells you whether you're impotent or not. It tells you an enormous amount about a, a person. And people, the government shouldn't be able to just willy-nilly willy go through a person's medicine cabinet, unless they have a strong basis for it, obviously, in a case involving Oxycontin or some other prescription drugs being misused, they would have a basis for that. But if they're looking for white collar criminals, no, no, you can't go into my medicine cabinet. If you suspect me of cheating on my taxes, that there's no relationship between 
that at all. So we need to know. We need to know. And we have a right to know. Now, interesting, as usual, the ACLU is asleep at the wheel. All the liberal organizations are asleep at the wheel. Normally, when there is a conflict between the right to know and the right of privacy, the right of secrecy, the ACLU is out front. Uh, various other leftist uh, groups are out front demanding the right to know, transparency, government secrets are not a valid basis. Where's the ACLU? Am I, have I missed something? Are, are they involved in this case, but I don't know about it? Maybe. I don't read everything and see everything. But it would not surprise me to learn that the ACLU is going to take a pass on this one. Um, no courage whatsoever. Look, I was told by a friend of mine here on Martha's Vineyard, if you had just shut up, if you had just taken a pass, you didn't have to oppose Trump, but if you had just taken a pass and not defended him, you would still be the king of the vineyard. Well, I, I don't do that. I don't take a pass. I'm not silent in the face of what I believe is unconstitutional actions. The ACLU seems to be selectively silent uh, depending on who they are being at. Nazis, that's okay. Communists, yeah, I guess so. Uh, racists, once a year we'll do a racist just to make us look as if we're uh, obviously um, even-handed. But Donald Trump, you defend Donald Trump and your funding is cut off. You become Alan Dershowitz on the vineyard if you defend Donald Trump's right of privacy. That's why I no longer contribute to the ACLU. My contributions now go to FIRE and other organizations that are uh, neutral on, on, on civil liberties. So again, we're seeing a double standard, a double standard applied here. So here's my hope. It's tomorrow. Um, the government is going to go to court. The Trump lawyers are going to go to court. I guess the Trump lawyers are the moving party. Uh, right now, the affidavit is sealed. Um, the Trump lawyers will say, we waive any right to privacy. Uh, we want it unsealed. Uh, not only do we want to see it, we want the public to see it. I don't know if they're going to ask to see it first and then have the public see it, because you know maybe there's stuff in there they don't want to be seen. I don't know that. And then the government is going to come in uh, on its high horse and say, see, the government you know, needs to have secrets. We need to have secrets. Trust us. Trust us. And my answer is trust, but verify. Trust, but verify. Always check. And the best way to verify, obviously, is to look at the documents. Read the documents. You know, again, uh, my principle has always been if there are two sides and one side says, disclose everything, and the other side says, no, I want to keep a lot of things secret. I generally believe the person who wants to uh, disclose, look in my own case, where I'm fighting with this woman I never met, um, Virginia Gouffre, who has a long, 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 long history of lying about everything, about her age, about everything. She wants to keep her deposition secret. She wants to keep everything secret. I want everything out there. I have nothing to hide. I have said over and over again, if there are photographs, if there are videotapes, I waive any right of privacy. Because I know the truth. I know I'm not in any photographs or videotapes because there can't be a photograph or videotape of something that didn't happen. She, on the other hand, and her lawyers want to keep everything secret, everything suppressed. Nothing should be allowed to be shown to the public. Why? Because they have something to hide. Why don't I want it kept secret? Because I have nothing to hide. 
the truth will set me free and will put her in prison. But um, so far, uh, her affidavit is still sealed. So that's my general rule. My general rule is go with the person who wants disclosure, not with the person who wants secrecy. It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Now, it doesn't always help Donald Trump. Donald Trump took the Fifth Amendment in New York, uh, which means he decided for non-disclosure in, in, in New York. The Constitution says you can't infer anything from that in a criminal case, but lots of people say if you have nothing to hide, why take the fifth? Well, there are some good reasons sometimes for taking the fifth, even though you have nothing to hide. Uh, a good lawyer will advise you, look, even if you're innocent, if you give them this piece of information that's missing, it will help them build a fake case against you. So withhold that piece of information. The only way to withhold it legally is by claiming the Fifth Amendment. Of course, you can trump the Fifth Amendment, to, to use an inept term, uh, by giving the person immunity, and then they have to turn over the material, and, but they can't use that material or anything they got from the material in court in a criminal case. Civil cases are different. And if somebody takes the Fifth Amendment in a civil case, and remember that the Trump case is a civil case, and therefore, the lawyers in a civil case can argue to the jury, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, this guy took the Fifth Amendment. What does he have to hide? You can argue that in a civil case. You cannot argue that in a criminal case. So I have to tell you, I'm scratching what little hair I have left on my head. I have no idea why Trump took the Fifth Amendment. It does not seem to me like a good idea. It seems to me like it will backfire. Uh, number one, they can give him immunity. Number two, they can draw inferences negative to him from taking the Fifth Amendment. Number three, in the court of public opinion, it just doesn't look good. That's why in the 60 years I've been practicing law, I have never had a client invoke the Fifth Amendment. Never. Fourth Amendment? Yes. First Amendment? Yes. Uh, Fifth Amendment? Yes. Sixth Amendment? Yes. I've even invoked the Eighth Amendment and the Ninth Amendment, but never the Fifth Amendment. Uh, I've never invoked the Third Amendment either. You can't court troops in people's homes. That hasn't come up in very many cases uh, in my uh, practice or in my experience. But uh, Fifth Amendment comes up a lot. And I was challenged uh, to invoke it. I was asked by a judge where I was invoking it. And I always said, no, I'm invoking another amendment. Because if I invoke the Fourth, they can't give immunity. If I invoke the Sixth, they can't give immunity. It's only if you invoke the Fifth that they can impose immunity on you and make you testify. So, you know, I've tried to be uh, one step ahead of the prosecution in, in, in some of these cases. And so far, it's worked, it's worked successfully. So, all right, I said what I think Judge Reinhardt should do. Now, let me say what I think he will do. I don't know him. Um, you know, people think I'm his best friend because apparently he was a lawyer who... Uh, was involved in one of the Epstein cases and, and he represented one of Epstein's secretaries. So I must be his best friend. No, I, I don't. I've heard of him. I may have conceivably shaken hands with him. Who knows? I, I meet a lot of people, but I don't know him. And I certainly don't know what his politics are. I don't know what views he has or anything like that. I doubt he will have uh, the courage to uh, reveal the affidavit. I hope I'm wrong. Maybe he will. By the way, if he does, the government can appeal it to the 
judge. Now, there are two levels of judges in the federal system. There are what's called Article Three judges, judges that come under the Constitution. They have life tenure. Uh, they are confirmed by the Senate and they can't be fired. Then in more recent years, judges have been given magistrates to help them with discovery, with more technical issues. For years, they were just called magistrates. Now they're called magistrate judges. They're real judges, and some of them are very distinguished. Uh, many go on to become federal district court judges, but uh, they don't make final decisions because they're not Article Three constitutional judges. So they essentially make recommendations, and then the judge has to make the ultimate decision. And so I suspect either way, um, Judge Reinhardt's decisions will almost certainly be appealed to the um, federal uh, district court. And I don't know how that will, will come out. I know how it should come out, but I don't know how it will come out. And if there is a compromise, which is very possible, would I say likely? If the case weren't Trump, I would say likely, but because it's Trump, maybe it's a little less likely. Um, it, it, I've seen redacted documents, and sometimes they're so redacted you can't tell anything from them. For example, there is an FBI report uh, of my accuser's conversation with the FBI. I know for a fact that when she spoke to the FBI, she did not mention me. And when she was shown pictures of me, uh, she didn't tell her lawyers. Uh, um, uh, the, 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 but I, with the FBI, for sure, uh, they, they, they didn't, uh, she didn't tell the FBI that I was one of the people. She told them that. Uh, George Mitchell was one of the people and some other prominent people, but she didn't tell me. But the FBI report that we got is so redacted. You can't read anything. Every, every line is blank, black, uh, blacked out, uh, except for, you know, the uh, uh, ones that, uh, the things that are there. But you can reconstruct from there that uh, she doesn't name me. I also know, because I have sources, um, that the uh, she didn't mention me to the FBI. If she had mentioned me to the FBI, believe me, the FBI would not have allowed me to continue representing uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Obviously, I would have a conflict of interest. So I know for sure I wasn't mentioned uh, in the FBI report, but the redactions are there. And so I have a lot of experience with redactions. And, and I, I hope that uh, the uh, uh, affidavit is not so redacted that you really can't read anything from it. Uh, a balance has to be struck. And um, I hope that Judge Reinhardt strikes that balance. I've heard good things about him. And um, I, I know him by reputation. And um, so let's hope he does the right thing. Uh, there aren't too many people who are doing the right thing these days. One of the reasons I wrote my book, uh, The Price of Principle, is because the number of principled people these days is pretty darn small. One of the reasons, by the way, I wrote this book, it's interesting, I'll just mention this one thing before we get to letters. I may have mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again. The daughter of the president of the United States, John Kennedy, who I voted for, the first person I voted for, was seated next to me at a dinner party uh, on Martha's Vineyard. And we had a very nice conversation, I thought. And then at the end, she got up and she said to me, if I knew you had been invited, I would never have come here, suggesting that she would never come to any event that I was at. And others have said the same thing. But this is the daughter of the man who wrote Profiles and Courage. This is our United States ambassador. 
to Australia, the woman who has to negotiate with the head of China, maybe with the head of North Korea, and she can't tolerate being in the same room with a man who showed courage and defended the president of the United States against unconstitutional charges, shame on her. Shame on Caroline Kennedy. I, you know, I knew her when she was a student at Harvard uh, College, uh, but shame on her for, for, for engaging in this McCarthyism that has become so rampant uh, on Martha's Vineyard and elsewhere. Okay, let's go to letters. Got a lot of letters about, about the fact that I railed against uh, some rumble people and um, praise the YouTube people. Um, I appreciate your voicing your astute thoughts about the congenital knuckle draggers on rumble. I am only surprised that it took you this long to call them out. It didn't. My son just gave me yesterday for the first time, the, the YouTube, um, uh, emails. I didn't know there were, I just thought all the emails were, were these nutty emails that were coming from rumble. Many of them were good. Many of them were good. Many of them were solid, but the nutcases that write for rumble are just amazing. The rumbling rumblies are nothing more than the flip side of the leftovers found on many social media sites. Please continue to routinely check your comments on both platforms for questions and observations deserving your attention and worthy of airtime. Thank you for the insights you provide. That's a good letter. I appreciate that very much. Okay. I'm not a Trump fan. I do not understand this twisted obsession the left and media has with the Donald. It's borderline psychotic. If they can't find something, they make it up. No, I absolutely believe in the Trump syndrome. Um, I've experienced it before with Israel. You mentioned Israel on college campuses and the Israel syndrome pops up and rational people start being crazy. The same thing is true with Trump. Here's a good one. What about if, if Biden pardoned Trump a la Nixon? Besides the anti-Trump outrage, how do you think that would play out long term? It would be very interesting. Trump would, of course, reject the pardon. He would say, I do not accept the pardon. Pardons are given for people who are guilty. I'm innocent. I don't accept the pardon. But the Supreme Court of the United States, in an opinion by Oliver Wendell Holmes, said that a pardon is an act by the president. It cannot be rejected. Uh, it's just done. So you could have a situation where Biden says, you're pardoned. Trump says, I don't accept the pardon, but he is pardoned and he can't be prosecuted. Is that going to happen? I don't think so. The only way it could conceivably happen is if Biden decides he's not going to run for uh, president again, then he could do what Ford did. Uh, Ford told me um, and my son, who's here, we had dinner with him in Palm Beach uh, years and years ago, that that. It's what lost him the election, pardoning Trump. And he knew when he pardoned Trump, oh, he, sorry, Trump, when he pardoned Nixon, sorry for the confusion, that it would probably cost him the election. And it, it, it probably did. Okay. Um, Professor Dershowitz, you mentioned in a recent tutorial that to paraphrase, the law is not a search for truth. Can you please elaborate? Yeah, it's a very important point. Science is a search for truth. If the law were a search for truth, it wouldn't have exclusionary rules. It wouldn't say you can't use evidence found in an illegal search, because obviously evidence found in illegal searches help get us to the truth. It wouldn't have a Fifth Amendment that allows people to keep the truth away. It wouldn't have proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Science doesn't have proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Whichever has a better probability 
is the scientifically acceptable uh, truth for the moment. It may change. Um, so a, a trial is not a search for truth. A trial is a balance, striking a balance between a search for truth and protecting other values such as privacy, bodily integrity, the right not to incriminate uh, oneself, um, erring on the side of Ben, better 10 guilty go free than one innocent be wrongly confined. Would science ever say that? No, it, 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 it wouldn't say that. I mean, it would say that if you have a dangerous medicine, you might say, you know, better 10 people not get uh, die from the, the medicine than one person. Who knows? Uh, but in general, science is a search for truth. Law is an attempt to balance the search for truth with other very important values under the Constitution. Okay. To your point about restructuring or abolishing the U.S. Department of Justice, where does the Constitution authorize the establishment of a federal police force? It's very, very interesting. People don't know this or people don't realize this. Of course, the Constitution didn't contemplate a federal a police force. You know what else it didn't contemplate? Federal criminal laws. There were almost none of them in the early days of the Constitution. Oh, treason, of course, and, you know, a few handfuls of criminal statutes. But criminal statutes were the business of the state. So you'd have state police forces. You wouldn't need an FBI because there are almost no federal criminal cases back in the day of the Constitution. But now federal criminal cases have proliferated. Federal criminal statutes, 18 USC, <clears throat> you know, the federal criminal code has started out like this and it's like this now. And the statutes are big and broad. The Espionage Statute of 1870. Look, uh, 1917. Look, the Alien Sedition Act was a federal statute and it was um, enacted in the uh, first, uh, the only term that John Adams uh, served, but that was that was rare. And um, the verdict of history is that that statute was unconstitutional. Remember, the federal government doesn't have a lot of powers under the Constitution. The Constitution is a document that restricts power. It gives power and it restricts power. Of course, the Ninth and Tenth Amendment talk about what happens if there is no specific grant or taking away of power, where the presumptions lie. But the reason why we didn't have a political, uh, a, a federal police force was because there weren't very many federal crimes at the time of the enactment of the Constitution. There are so many now that I guess you do need. Um, there are several police forces. People don't remember that. The Secret Service is a police force, and it's not under the Justice Department. It's under the Treasury Department. Um, you have uh, immigration uh, police they're also under a different uh, cabinet uh, position. Um, there are many, many different kinds of police. The Marshal Service, which is a police force, they're the ones investigating the leak, which I guess we'll never find an answer to, who leaked the Roe versus Wade overruling. That's within the judiciary. It's not part of the, the Justice Department. But a police force um, is um, a federal police force. Jefferson would have been opposed to it. Jefferson was opposed to having a federal army. He said it was enough to have state militias if we ever get invaded, as we did twice early in American history, once before the United States was established in the Revolutionary War. That was fought by militias. 
And the other, of course, was the War of 1812, fought largely by militias, but there was more of a unified army. And then the Civil War, the Union Army. But this is something that has developed over time. Okay. What if the search was warranted? No one should be above the law. I agree. I agree. If the search was warranted, I will be in favor of the search. That's why I want to see the affidavit. I have an open mind. It's very possible the search was warranted, that they had confidential informants who had specific information uh, which would justify a search, maybe specific information about what was in the safe, what was in uh, the closet uh, of Mrs. Trump. All of that's possible. And so I keep an open mind, but I can tell you uh, I'm not going to believe what the government says in the absence of seeing uh, the affidavit. I recently watched on Rumble your podcast about dividing the DOJ. Awesome and informative, in my opinion. I wanted to have one Rumble, one Rumble at least call that is positive and favorable. Thank you for your wonderful podcast day after day. Mike, this is, of course, on YouTube. If it does come to pass that Mr. Trump ends up indicted and brought to trial, can he subpoena previous FBI actors, Comey, Strzok, Page, to attest to the judicious or injudicious nature of the department and its practices as they may affect his prosecution? No, I don't think so. I think a judge would keep it quite narrow and make sure that it didn't become a political circus. So I do think that uh, we're going to see if there is a trial. I don't think there'll be a trial. But I think if there is a trial, it would be a relatively narrow trial about classified information or anything else that was found during the search. Take care. See you next week. Keep writing. Bye. Hello, Professor. It's Newsmax, New York. Hi, how are you?